The element of Earth is represented in the zodiac by the signs Taurus, Virgo and Capricorn. But what are the Greek origin myths that lie behind these signs? Let's find out in this week's episode of Fabulous Folklore. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Sedgwick, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. I do hope that you're well and that your January is treating you as well as it can do. I think we'd all probably agree that 2021 doesn't necessarily look like it was the huge restart that some people on social media seem to think that it would be. But let's be honest, we don't subscribe to arbitrary measures of time here on Fabulous Folklore. And sometimes it can feel a little bit frivolous to be discussing folklore and myth and superstition and all that kind of thing when there are fairly major world events going on. And it does sometimes bother me slightly that this does come across as frivolous or flippant or whimsical or anything of that nature. But at the same time, I suppose it's the the stories and the legends and the myths and so on of the past do sometimes have some things to offer us about life and humanity and all that kind of thing. So, And I am aware from messages that I do get from some of you on social media that you do appreciate the escapism that the podcast does provide. Therefore, it's under those auspices that I will be continuing as normal. And I'm here basically as a safe space for you at the moment while everything's going on the way that it is. So if you think that I'm ignoring things, I'm not. I'm just not wanting to add my voice to the noise. So last week we started with the origins of the fire signs and I'm not going to go back through the introduction as to why we're looking at the Greek origin myths. If you're curious, it's in the previous episode, so that should explain everything. And what we are going to do is jump straight into the earth signs and they are Taurus, Virgo and Capricorn. So if you are any one of those signs, this episode is for you and we're going to have a look at what they're Greek origin myths are. So without any further ado, let's just jump right into it. So as I said, we are going to start with the earth signs and we're going to just start off with the first earth sign, which is Taurus. And that's the one that appears straight after Aries. And its Greek name is Tauros Kratios, which became Taurus Kratium in Latin. And the name basically translates as the Bull of Crete. As with most of the signs of the Zodiac, there are multiple origin stories associated. So if you're sitting there going, oh, that's not the version I heard, that's because there's no one definitive version. I will note for a couple of the signs that there is kind of one accepted version that goes with it, much like Leo. And you'll also find the same with Cancer in the Water Signs episode. But for most of them, there are various myths and I will try and address them where I can. But Taurus is one of the multiple myths signs that we're going to be having a look at. So in one version of the myth, the bull actually belonged to Poseidon, the god of the sea, who had sent it to Crete, which obviously is an island. And some versions of the legend believe that Poseidon sent the bull purely so that King Minos would sacrifice it in his name. Trouble was, it was such an attractive bull, Minos couldn't actually bring himself to sacrifice it. Instead, the king kept the bull and then sacrificed a different one to Poseidon in its place, which was a horrendous idea because obviously Poseidon had wanted that one. Minos's wife, Queen Pasiphae, who was sister of the sorceress Kirka and King Aetes, who we met in the Aries 
Smith last week even mated with the bull. And I should point out that she apparently was inside a wooden contraption made by Daedalus of Icarus and Daedalus fame at the time. We don't really need to think about how that went down, but either way, you will recognise the name of their offspring, the Minotaur. And this bull-headed man ended up imprisoned beneath the palace in a giant maze. Now, according to Bacchylides and Hyginus, Aphrodite was the one who made Pasiphae desire the bull, and that's because Pasiphae had stopped making offerings to Aphrodite. On the other hand, Apollodorus claims that Pasiphae's desire actually came from Poseidon, and it is entirely possible that Poseidon was annoyed about the inferior sacrifice of the lesser bull, not the one that he'd sent. If you've ever read Kirker by Madeline Miller, she actually suggests that Pasiphae did it on purpose. Obviously, we'll never know one way or the other which one it was, but Whichever version's actually true, Poseidon wasn't particularly impressed at Minos deciding to keep the bull. It did not satisfy his notorious temper. So he then turned the bull mad and it laid waste to Crete, which is why Eurystheus sent Hercules to capture it. And then fetching that particular bull became one of Hercules' twelve labours, again which we looked into last week in the Leo and Sagittarius myths. Now Hercules did manage to capture it and then set it free on the mainland where it then rampaged through the countryside outside Marathon before Theseus finally killed it. After its death the gods put the bull among the stars as the first of the earth signs. Now that isn't the only version like I said there are several. There is another one which actually claims that it's not a bull but it's actually a cow and she actually represents Io who is one of the many female figures pursued by Zeus and he basically puts her in the form of a cow to hide her from his wife Hera and that's why they think that it's actually a cow. Zeus is actually involved in the other popular alternative version which actually claims that the bull isn't the Cretan bull but it's actually Zeus in disguise and in another one of his myths he actually adopted the form of a bull to abduct Europa who was a beautiful Phoenician princess. He steals her away from Crete so obviously we're back to Crete again And then once he's gotten her far away from people who could help, he throws off the bull disguise and then seduces her in his human form. Their son was Minos, who then went on to become king of Crete. So this is the same Minos who wouldn't sacrifice the bull that Poseidon wanted him to sacrifice. And if this legend is right, then Poseidon was actually Minos' uncle, which is a little bit weird sending your nephew a bull to sacrifice if that's the form that your father took to deceive your mother. Anyway, this is the Greek myths for you. So whether we accept that it's actually the bull sent by Poseidon or indeed the bull that then represents Zeus stealing Europa, either way both of these legends do have the bull emerging from the sea which can explain why the constellation only actually translates as half of a bull because its hindquarters should be where Ares and Cetus are. So in the legends we can't actually see them because that part of the bull is still submerged. There are some links between Taurus and the Roman god Mithras and the main sculpture or image that's associated with Mithras is the Tauroctony and it basically depicts this human figure slaying a bull. Problem is there's not many records if any about Mithras and how these different images play into his myths so the symbolism is fairly unclear but there is some debate as to whether the bull in the Tauroctony actually represents Taurus as well. There is also a scorpion involved so Some people have spotted signs of the Zodiac in the Mithras myth, but we don't obviously know how they all fit together. So that is the confusion that lies around Taurus. Is he a bull or a cow? And if he is a bull, was he the bull sent by Poseidon or does he represent Zeus himself? Again, we don't know. There's umpteen versions. Pick your favourite, I guess. 
But we're going to go from Taurus onto Virgo. And again, there is some mistaken identity around her. But I think with this one, we can probably be a little bit more clear which version she is. Now, she reigns over the harvest period. And she's most commonly believed to be Astraea, the virgin goddess of justice. And her name, which is Astraea in Latin, translates as starry one. Ian Redpath points out that Virgo is the second largest constellation, only Hydra is larger, but it's also the largest of the zodiac. And this is why you do have the difference between the sizes of the constellations and the very, very accurate 30 degree slices of the elliptic, which give us the signs of the zodiac that we follow instead. But that's a side issue. Who was Astraea, you might be wondering. In some legends, her parents were Astraeus, father of the stars, and Eos, goddess of the dawn, so that would certainly make sense. And in others, her parents were Zeus and Themis, and she's actually Dica, goddess of justice. Either way, regardless of who her parentage is, she does tend to fulfil the same role in the myths, though, so that's probably more important than her parentage. But according to Eratus, Eratosthenes, and Ovid, Astraea lived on Earth among humanity during the era of the Titans, which is sometimes known as the Golden Age. Humans didn't know war or famine, apparently, and Astraea essentially handed out justice and wisdom to anyone who would listen. Zeus and the Olympians overthrew the Titans and then the Silver Age began, and humans started to become a lot more argumentative and generally problematic. Astraea found herself admonishing them rather than advising them, and she apparently really missed the Golden Age and moved away to the mountains, essentially to get away from humanity. When the Bronze Age came along, humanity had further descended into violence and war, so she gave up altogether and abandoned her place on Earth. And at that point, she then came to sit in the Zodiac, watching over the humans that she no longer advises. Now, there are other contenders for who Virgo might be. And some people think that she's Demeter, the goddess of the harvest. And there's not really any reason why this would be the case, other than the fact that Virgo is holding an ear of corn. And Eratosthenes and Hygienus actually offered seven possibilities for her identity, including Tyker, who is known as Fortuna to the Romans, who we met months ago now on the podcast. But I don't really think that it fits to say that she's Tyker because she's nearly always portrayed holding the horn of plenty, not an ear of corn. So I think that one's a little bit of a misnomer. Other writers have offered Athena and Hecate as possible options, but it does really start to feel at that point like they're just choosing female figures and saying, oh, that could be Virgo. It really does make a lot more sense for Virgo to be the virgin goddess of justice, Astraea, because the scales of Libra are right next to her. So I think in that regard, we can more or less consider that's the more likely option because the scales are there. And obviously we will have a look at Libra and what Libra represents next week when we do the air signs. Now we are going to finish off with Capricorn, who is perhaps the most confusing one of the Earth signs, because Capricorn doesn't refer to the name of what it represents, and like the other Earth signs, there are a few interpretations as to why there is a half-fish, half-goat creature in the Zodiac. Now the constellation first appeared with the Babylonians and Sumerians, and then the Greeks inherited it and decided that they needed to find an origin story to go with it. And this is where it gets really awkward. And I've read so many different versions. It all gets very contradictory and a little bit confusing. So I'll let you make up your own mind. But in one version, you have a creature called Agipan or Agipan in Latin. And he's a goat-legged pain. And the pains live in the mountains and highlands. They look after sheep and goats. And they're essentially nature spirits with the nose, ears, horns, tail and beard of a goat. So they're not quite like satires who are like half man, half goat. Like they do have a lot more goat-like features, and the Romans went on to call them Faunus or Fauni, 
And I always end up thinking of Mr. Tumnus from Narnia, but never mind. The legends do vary as to the Payne's parentage, although Zeus, Pan and Hermes are all put forward as their father. You're probably guessing by this point that if you're not sure who someone's father is in Greek mythology, Zeus is probably a pretty good guess. But occasionally people do conflate Agipan and Pan, considering them to be the same figure. And that seems to be the common thread that I'm finding, that actually Agipan was just a form that Pan took if and when he chose to. So we'll get on to the actual part of why Capricorn, though. If you've got these goat-like creatures, why why Capricorn? Well, in one version of the myth, the Olympians were having this massive battle with the Titan monster Typhon, who is he pops up in some of the other myths in the next two weeks as well. And Pan had suggested that the Olympians take the form of animals to hide from Typhon. And he decided to dive into the Nile and took the form of a goat with the tail of a fish. So because Zeus didn't follow suit, he stayed behind to fight Typhon. And this is a bit icky, but the Titan actually pulled the sinews out of Zeus's feet and hands. So Zeus pretty much couldn't do anything to fight back. This didn't sit well with Pan and Hermes. So they then stole the sinews back from Typhon. And as a thank you, Zeus put Pan in the Zodiac as Capricorn. So that's one version. In another version, the fact that Pan had dived into the Nile and taken this half-goat, half-fish form apparently really impresses use as a ruse, and then he put the image of that actual half-fish, half-goat figure in the Zodiac, which explains Capricorn's hybrid form. But there is one final element which I would quite like to have a look at, and Theony Condos actually calls Capricorn Aegiserus, and in this version, which quotes Epimenides, Aegiserus was actually raised alongside Zeus. And his first claim to fame was his decision to fight alongside Zeus in the battle with the Titans. His second claim to fame was that he invented a trumpet called the Panicus, and when he blew it, the sound caused the Titans to scatter, which helped give the advantage to the Olympians. You also sometimes see Pan with the Panicus, and that's where Panicus is supposed to come from as a word, and it's largely a seashell-like thing. It always makes me think of like a conch cell, because you've got to be able to blow it to make a noise. But basically, as a thank you for both fighting alongside Zeus and discovering this trumpet, which obviously gave them the advantage. Zeus then put Aegiserus in the Zodiac as Capricorn, and Eratosthenes claimed that because he'd found the seashell horn in the sea, that explained why this goat creature had a half-fish body. So, and this is why it's confusing, because ultimately everybody agrees that there was a battle with Typhon that the figure who represents Capricorn was involved with, but nobody's quite sure who that figure actually was. So it could be Agipan the Pain, it could be Pan in Disguise, or it could be the childhood playmate of Zeus. There's not really any official version that we can necessarily go, aha, it's that one. So it does get a little bit confusing. And because nobody can agree if Agipan is his own creature or just a different form of Pan... This is where a lot of the, the problems are occurring. And Kondos actually explains that Eratosthenes was essentially trying to find a way to marry up the traditional image of Agipan with the Babylonian hybrid goatfish figure. So all that we can really glean from it is that this figure comes from a form that was taken during the battle with Typhon. But either way, it's still quite a cool story if you are Capricorn that this figure represents someone who A, stole sinews back from a monster, B, invented a trumpet which could scatter enemies at the sound of it, and C, was just really quite loyal. So I think all of those things are still quite positive either way. So which of these earth signs are you? 
people do tend to associate the earth signs of the zodiac with a certain earthiness as you would imagine and they've got quite solid temperaments and a no-nonsense attitude to problem solving i mean one of my favorite people is a taurus and oh my god you couldn't get a more down-to-earth grounded practical person but none of these attributes actually come from the signs themselves but rather the associations of the element of earth And like the fire signs, the earth signs also mark a range of types of myth. So Taurus should be sacrificed, but instead fathers the Minotaur and then rampages across Greece, or alternatively enables Zeus to essentially rape someone. Virgo is a goddess of justice who turns her back on the wars and nastiness of humanity, and can we blame her? And Capricorn is a loyal companion who defeats a monster and demonstrates agile thinking in the process. So I think we can basically see a lot of strong logical, fair and quite forceful temperaments on display among the earth signs. So I would like to point out that we are doing the air signs next week. So that's Gemini, Libra and Aquarius. So if you're any of those, obviously feel free to come back next week and find out more about them. I am going to so basically sign off here though, and um, because there's not really much else to add. But as I say, I, w- I do want you to try and sort of treat this fabulous folklore space as a form of community and a place to share stories and so on. So I hope that this is a space where you feel that you can do that. Without any further ado, really though, because obviously we'll come to the end of the, the earth signs and I don't want to take up too much of your time. So we'll do the air signs next week and then obviously we'll finish off with the water signs. I haven't fully decided which constellations we're going to do for the final week of January but I've got a few ideas. So if you've got any requests, please do let me know using any of the links below because it'll all get back to us eventually. So without any further ado, I hope that you have a, a good week ahead. I hope that you manage, if you're in the UK, I hope that you're managing all right with lockdown and it's not been too much of a problem for you. And also if you're not in the UK, I just hope that you stay safe and well. So without any further ado, have a good week ahead. Stay safe, stay well, hug your loved ones and I'll see you next week. Cheerio. Well, thank you for listening and thanks for visiting Fabulous Folklore. I hope you enjoyed your stay. If you did, why not consider subscribing in your podcast app of choice? If you enjoy the show, why not leave me a review and help other listeners to find it as well? And if you'd like bonus exclusive episodes of the podcast, then why not support me on Patreon? It does help me to keep the show going and it means that you get a little bit extra every month as well. And you can find all of the necessary links in the show notes below. So without any further ado, I will bid you adieu and I hope that you have a safe travels wherever you're going on to next.